Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Rome is one of the most important doctrinal books uh, in the Bible, if not the most important. There are five main themes that Paul covers. We've already uh, read this a couple times, but I want to revisit it every now and then, just where you'll remember what uh, is going on in, in the book of Romans. But here's the, the five main themes. He starts out uh, talking about sin. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, and then he moves from talking about sin to salvation. Uh, that's what we are uh, in right now, that section of Romans. And then he'll talk about sanctification, how God sets us apart unto himself. He'll talk about the sovereignty of God, and he'll talk about service. That's the main themes that's going to be before us. Uh, we've already looked at sin, and as you know, Paul was writing about sin, he just clearly lets us know that all the human race is accountable before God. All the human race is guilty before God. We We cannot save ourselves by obeying the law. That's a complete impossibility that we can save ourselves. Matter of fact, the law was not even written for that purpose. The Bible tells us that no one will be justified by the works of the law. It was written instead to let us understand we're sinners, to help us understand how sinful we are. And you'll see a verse that communicates that uh, in today's message also. Well, he moved from this needful topic of, of sin to the topic of salvation. And and it's a needful topic of sin because, like I said, we need to understand we're sinners. But it's a really wonderful topic when he starts talking about salvation because Paul lets us know clearly that salvation or being made right before God, righteous before God, is based upon faith alone. It's not based upon works. It's not based upon ritual. It's not based upon us being good people because the Bible says there's none of us good, no, not one. It's based totally upon faith alone. Uh, a couple of uh, passages I want you to see before we get on into our text today, because we're in Romans 4 uh, today, but Romans 3, 21 through 22 uh, says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who do what? What does it say? Be- believe. And then it says later, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So salvation is not based upon our performance, is not earned uh, by good works, it's totally based upon faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's totally based upon faith in the promise of God, taking God at his word. When Paul started teaching this kind of stuff, he recognized from his Jewish background, there would be people who would say, well, what about Abraham or why was the law written or whatever? So what he does is he takes Abraham, the very one the Jews would have looked at as father of the Jews, and he's going to use Abraham to prove kind of beyond any arguing whatsoever that salvation is based upon faith in God's Word. It is not based upon works. It's not based upon the Ten Commandments. It's not based upon any of those things. One reason it's not based upon the Ten Commandments is this. I told you this last week, but in case you were not here last week, the law was not given until Moses 430 years after God called Abraham righteous. So he could not have been saved by the law because he didn't even have it. You know, and the Jews were pointing things like rituals, like circumcision. Well, the Bible tells us that he was circumcised 14 years after God made him righteous. So you're not saved by ritual either. 
It is totally, completely based upon faith. And that's why I think the Holy Spirit has the Apostle Paul to use Abraham as an illustration uh, of, of this. We, we looked at the example of Abraham last week in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 4. Uh, one important thing that was said there is this. In verse 3, Paul writes these words, What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. couple things really important to get there and bear in mind all during today's message is this. What does the Bible say? It's not about what you think or what so-and-so thinks or what our culture communicates. It's about what the Scripture has to say. That's what we have to base our faith upon. What does the Bible say? And then he tells us Abraham believed God, not that Abraham was a good person and deserved it, not that Abraham obeyed the Ten Commandments or anything else. Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. God, by his grace, gave it to him. So today we're looking at Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through 25. And I think there are four, what I'm calling vital truths that we need to get out of these verses about you and I having faith in God's promise. Because really, you know, that's where Abraham's salvation was based. Abraham believed God. He believed the promise that God made him. He believed God when God said, Abraham, even though you're childless and you're childless and you're really old, you don't have any children, any offspring, and even though your wife is way beyond the, the year of, of having kids, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. And he believed the promise of God. He took God at his word. And for you and I, our salvation is based upon taking God at his word, believing God, taking God at his word that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He did everything necessary for us to be saved. By faith in him and him alone, we receive our salvation. So it's really promise, you know, it's really, it's really important that we understand some things about believing in God's promise, having faith in God's promise. Here's the first vital truth. Vital truth number one, God's promise is realized through faith, not the law. Now, before I even read those verses, I want you to understand that concept a little bit more. God's promise. What is a promise? A promise is simply that, right? It's a promise that someone gives you. It's not something you earn. It's not something that you deserve. So it can't be through the law. God's promise is not realized by obeying the law because that kills it being a promise. Instead, God's promise is realized through faith, us believing and taking God at his word. Look at verse number 13 through 15. Uh, Paul writes these words, For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. In other words, he's going to be the father of many nations. That's just another phrase that means that. Did not come through the law. And it could not. Why? It didn't even exist yet. Remember that a moment ago? Did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And then he goes on and he says, for if the, the adherents of the law, in other words, if those who are obeying the law, if, if it is those who are obeying the law who are the heirs, faith is null and void. And, and the promise doesn't matter. He says faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, I want you to get two main things, really really kind of three, but there's only two of them that, that you're filling uh, blanks in on. I want you to understand the character of the promise. Now, we're talking about the promise, the promise that God made Abraham, but really it's the character of, of, of any promise. The character of a promise is what I said a moment ago. It's, it's a promise. It's something that is made 
to you. It's not something you earn or that you deserve. Read the verse again. For the promise to Abraham, that promise was he'd be the father of many nations. That promise was he'd have offspring, so many as the stars of the sky. The promise also to him was that through his offspring, the whole world would be blessed, which is ultimately fulfilled by Jesus Christ being born through that bloodline and that offspring. He said, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but it comes through the righteousness of faith. God, by his grace, by his own decision, by his own will, made the promise to Abraham. Abraham didn't deserve it. Abraham couldn't earn it. God, by his grace and his mercy, said, Abraham, I'm going to do this. Even though you're about 100 years old and and Sarah's almost 90, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to give you offspring. You're going to have a son, even though it might have seemed impossible to him. God makes this promise to Abraham, and he made it based upon his own will. In Genesis 15, he said, I'm going to bless the whole world through you, give you that many uh, descendants. Genesis 12, he, he talks about the blessing through the whole world, through that through that bloodline, which, like I said a moment ago, is fulfilled through Christ the Savior. God didn't make the promise because Abraham deserved it or earned it by obeying the law. God simply made a promise to him. Think about this. If the promise could be earned or fulfilled by obeying the law, it's not a promise anymore, is it? It changes it. If, if, if you try to say that, that this promise that God gave Abraham was fulfilled by Abraham being good or by Abraham fulfilling the law, then all of a sudden you change the focus from the promise to performance, to what Abraham could do. And we need to be careful of that in our own faith, in, in our own beliefs. It's not about what you and I can do that saves us. It's not about our performance. It's about the promise of God. In the moment we start to make it about performance instead of God's promise, and we start to put faith in ourselves instead of faith in the promise of God, we, we ultimately ruin God's grace. We ruin the message of the gospel when we start to do that. Look, look at what the, the word promised, um, promised means. It shows up. It's really important in this passage of scripture because it shows up in verse 13. The word promise or promised in this passage is in verse 13, verse 14, verse 16, verse 20, verse 21. It's implied in verse 18 and it's also implied in verse 24 by the word believe. Here's what the word promise means. It's an announcement or a pledge. It's especially used in the Bible for divine assurance of good. The root word that it comes from in the Greek, that's the, the language that Paul is using here, means to announce upon or to engage to do something. That, that's what God did when he made the promise to Abraham. It wasn't based upon Abraham. Instead, what happened is this, is God making an announcement or a pledge to Abraham. Didn't have anything to do with Abraham's performance or who Abraham was. God made the promise to him. It was God telling him that he was assuring Abraham that it would take place. The, the definition that we used a minute ago meant to, to engage to do something. When God made the promise to Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations, it was God taking that upon himself. God is saying to Abraham, I'm engaging to do this for you, Abraham. It's not based upon who you are. It's not based upon what you do. So why in the world does that matter to us in this day and time? Here's why. We have to take God at his word, at his promise.
We have to believe the promise that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that He was resurrected, raised from the dead, to show that we are justified, and through Him we can have everlasting life. In a moment you start to make the promise a performance issue about who you are and what you can do, you completely destroy the promise. Which brings us to the cancellation of the promise. That's what he writes about in verse 14 and 15. If we try to add works, our performance, if we try to add anything to faith, anything to God's promise, in essence, we are canceling the effectiveness of the promise. Look what he says. For if the adherents of the law... If it is the heirs of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null, the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, and where there's no law, there's, there's no transgression. I want you to see what those words mean. Next, next slide. Uh, the, the words that he uses there, null, or your translation may say made none effect. It depends on what translation of the Bible you're using. It means to render entirely idle or, or useless. The, the word for void that's used there in the Greek, means to make empty or to neutralize. What Paul is saying is this. If we take God's promise and we try to focus upon our performance rather than God's promise, if we add anything to faith other than just taking God at His word and believing His promise, in in essence, it's like we have canceled what God says. It's like we make the promise of no effect. It's like we make the promise of, of not having any value whatsoever. The moment we start to try and add anything to believe in God's promise, the moment we try and add anything to grace, it's like we make God's grace and His promise idle or useless, or we make it empty, or we neutralize in the very promise that God wants to make us. All Abraham could do was believe God. Now, we'll get in that in detail later in the message. Abraham couldn't do anything else to fulfill the promise. Why? He's 100 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. I don't think they were making any blue pills back then. You understand what I'm saying? There's, there's not anything he could do except take God at his word and believe the promise. There's not anything you and I can do. We can't save ourselves. It, it has to be Jesus and Him crucified and us believing the promise of God. And the moment you start to add anything else into it, you are destroying the very promise of God. You're, 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 you're actually making it of, of no, no effect whatsoever. The moment you start to do that, and, and, and Paul even tells us, by the way, the law wasn't meant for that anyway. It wasn't given to save anyone. The law only brings wrath and reveals sin. That's why God gave the law. It never was a hoop for us to jump through or a stairway to heaven for us to climb our way into heaven. It was always to say, you're messed up, you're messed up, you're messed up, you're messed up. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. It is never, it was never, ever, ever meant for the person to try and save themselves. And if you try and obey the law in order to seek salvation, it completely destroys God's grace. Do you understand that? That's really important. Please please think about that. God's promise is fulfilled by faith, by you believing it, by accepting God's promise. It is not fulfilled by 
by obeying. I don't, I don't know what, you know, some of you are looking around like, I don't hear the air conditioner running. Something happened a minute ago. The lights, you know, changed. I don't know either, okay? We'll just go on with the message. If it's in the dark, we'll go on with the message. I don't know what happened a moment ago, but I just know something changed about the phase of things a, a, a moment ago. Second, second vital truth I want you to get this morning is this. God, God's promise is available through faith for all. Now, I know we've already talked about that in Romans. I can't help it. God put it in there a lot of times. We need to understand that God's promise is available through faith for all people. Here's what he says and why this topic comes up again. Look at verse 16 and 17. That is why it depends on faith. He's talking about the promise. This is why the promise depends on faith, in order that the promise might rest on what? Grace. What's grace? Is it works? Is it something you deserve? Grace is more or less the unmerited favor of God. We, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. So the promise might rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. Now, what he's talking about in all of his offspring, Abraham is the father of the Jews, but because Abraham messed up and listened to Sarah and went into Hagar, he's also the father of the Arabs, and we've had a mess ever since. Still have a mess because of it and struggle going on. So, so the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the ones that are trying to obey the law or the Jews, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is father of us all. Now, notice the way the promise was given to start with. It says, as it is written, I have made you the father of what? What does it say? So if, if salvation is just available to the Jews then God's promise would have been to Abraham, I've made you the father of a nation, one nation. You understand the difference? Instead, the very promise to begin with was this, I've made you the father of many nations, which, which by the way, you know, brings up an issue here. Do you realize that at the point in time God called Abraham to follow him, you know what Abraham was? He was a Gentile because the Jewish race didn't exist yet. He was called out of a heathen country and was not circumcised yet. He didn't become, quote, what the Jews would view as you until 14 years after he was saved when God counted him righteous by being circumcised. So the Jews look at Abraham as being the father of their nation, the father of the Jews. But in fact, to begin with, at the point in time when he was made righteous by God, he was a Gentile like the rest of the world. So salvation has to be available to all. Salvation depends upon faith. God's promise rests upon grace, not works, not the law. Through faith in God's promise, salvation, by the way, Paul wrote there, is guaranteed to all who believe by faith like Abraham did. Not just to some, not just to one group, not to people trying to work their way to heaven. It's available to all who have the faith of Abraham. Look at the word guaranteed for a minute. Man, I love this word study. The, the word that's translated guaranteed, or your translation might say might be sure uh, in it, is built from two Greek words. It's built from the Greek word, I exist. Anyone ever heard that before in the Bible? You ever heard God say, I am that I am? You know? All through the Bible, God said, I exist. When Jesus made the I am statements in John, all of those was Jesus claiming to be God. So, so God exists, and he's always existed, and he always shall exist, okay? That's what the first word meant. The, the second Greek word that was used to, to make up this word that's translated guaranteed means stable. 
Now, now, man, here's what blessed me about it. Here's the way I take it. I, I don't know if you'll take it like this, but I love it like this. So I hope you'll take it like this. You don't know how guaranteed the promise of God is. God's promise is as guaranteed as the fact that He exists and that God's always stable. You like that? Man, I do. The promise of God, the promise that God gives us in Christ Jesus. You want to know how sure it is, how guaranteed it is? It's as sure as that God exists and that God is always stable. That's that's something to believe in. That's pretty good, you know, I think, for, for our faith. God's promise depends... Go ahead, next slide. I'm sorry. Uh, God's promise depends on faith, not works. God's promise rests on grace, not the law. God's promise is guaranteed that we're guaranteed. We looked at a moment ago to, to all who share the faith of Abraham and believe, not works, but, but believe. L- listen, listen to this. I, I want to make a statement. I want you to, I'm going to, I want to camp out on it just for a second. What, what God gives by grace can only be accepted by faith. Now think about that. What God gives by grace, if it's grace you don't deserve, you can't earn it. So it can't be accepted by works. It can't be accepted by the law. What God offers by grace can only be accepted by faith. You understand what I'm saying? Later on in in the message, last point of the message, I'm going to come to something I I really, really want you to reflect on. But I want to give you prior notice of it right now. And I want you to be thinking about it. But I want you to think about this also. Because I'm, guys, I have this huge concern that there are a lot of people that attend church week after week. I, I've got a personal huge concern that there may be people that I've preached to for years who somehow know facts about Jesus and they understand they're supposed to believe in Him. But still, they're trying to think but there's something else I have to do. I have to earn it. Listen, if it's God's grace, all you can do is believe. All Abraham could do is take God at His Word and believe. Please think about that. Because, I mean, honest, there's a serious point coming uh, later on in, in the message, but I, I want to just give you a little bit of forewarning uh, on that. Number three, the third vital truth that I want you to get out of this passage of Scripture this morning is this. God's promise, look what it does. God's promise overcomes the impossible. You like that? I do. Look what he writes here. See, Paul starts to write about God himself, kind of God's character or what God can do. When he says who, he's referring to God, not Abraham. He says, who gives life to the dead? This is who Abraham believed in. This is where Abraham's faith was placed. In the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, that's two pretty impossible sounding things. Someone's dead. That sounds like that's a pretty impossible thing to overcome. You know, if you just look at it logically, uh, calling into existence something that doesn't exist, that blows our mind <laughs> you know, in the way we try and think about things in this day and time. And then it says this about Abraham, in hope he, Abraham, believed against hope. I'm I'm sorry, back up, please. Back up one slide, please. He, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. 
the, the logical situation, the circumstances that Abraham faced seemed impossible. But he had faith in God's promise that overcomes the impossible. Paul uses Abraham and Sarah as an example of how God's promise overcomes what we might think of in our own human logic as something that, wow, man, that can't happen. That's totally impossible. Abraham, first of all, believed in God who gives life to the dead. He said that a moment ago, who gives life to the dead. Paul writes later about this in in verse 19, about Abraham's faith in God's promise. And, And he says this in verse 19, talking about Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. That's what I was alluding to a moment ago. 100 years old, the promise is you're going to have plenty of offspring. You're looking at yourself and your situation. Human logic is that ain't going to happen. You understand that? You're looking over at your wife, and, and you know if you're thinking of having a surrogate father or anything like that, you're looking over at your wife who's supposed to have the child, 89 years old. You're kind of thinking to yourself, God, I don't know about that. See, it seemed like a pretty impossible situation that that could happen. And yet Abraham believes in God's promise because God had promised him it would happen. God had promised that he would have an offspring. God had promised that he would, would have so many children that the whole world would be blessed through it and Jesus would be born out of that bloodline. That's the promise of God. The circumstances would say, Abraham, you're dead. Your body's dead, and your wife's body is dead. But he believed that God's promise could overcome death. Literally, that's the, you know, yes, God raises the dead. Amen? Thank God for that. There's stories of it in the Bible. You want to see the ultimate fulfillment of that? They crucified Jesus, put him in a tomb, seal it, think they're done with him. He said in advance, on the third day, I'll take my life back up. God keeps his promise and raises the dead. Jesus, God in the flesh, made the promise. He kept the promise by taking his life back up. But in the context of what's being said here, the resurrection power that's being talked about here is a power that God applied to the dead physical life of Abraham and Sarah to where they were beyond the years of having children. It looked like a very impossible situation, but Abraham believed in the God who's able to raise the dead. God's promise overcomes the impossible. Amen? God's promise gives life. And that's why we need to have faith in God's promise. God not only gives life to the dead, but while we're talking about God's promise and overcome the impossible, God's promise also does this. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's what Paul wrote in in the end of verse 17, that he calls into existence the things that do not exist. I like the way the NIV puts that. The way the NIV puts it is like this. God calls things that are not as though they were. Think about that. God... All-powerful creator God calls things that are not as though they were. That's really the way creation came about, isn't it? I mean, there was nothing, and God steps out into nothing, and he speaks and says, let there be light, and there's what? Light. God speaks creation into existence based upon his, his promise. 
Well, God not only does that, God calls things and he calls people, things that don't seem like they are yet. He changed the name of Abraham, whose name was, was Abram to start with, and he changed it to Abraham. You know what Abraham means? Father of a multitude. Well, where's the multitude? He doesn't have any kids yet. But God is calling it by the power of his word that it will happen. Sarah's name was Sarah, but he changes it to Sarah, which means noble lady. God called them things that they weren't. And you might be thinking, but, but what does that mean to me? Here's what it means to you. Here's what it means to me. I'm a sinner that deserves to spend eternity in hell separated from God forever. And God, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, calls me righteous. Am I righteous in myself? I'm not. I deserve to go to hell for all eternity. And you do too, by the way. You know, before you just think, yeah, man, how bad the preacher is. But God, by His promise, calls us things that we're not. And Abraham had faith in a God that does that. He calls into existence things that do not exist. And that's why we need to have faith in God's promise. God's promise also does this. According to what Paul writes in verse 18, God's promise overcomes the impossible and and inspires hope. He said, in hope he believed against hope. In other words, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty tough situation, isn't it? Be honest. If you're in Abraham's shoes and you're that age and you're told you're going to have a son, you know how we are as human beings. God, I believe what you're saying then off to the side. God don't know a thing what he's talking about, does he? I mean, it's kind of the way we are, you know? But Abraham hears God make that promise. He understands his dilemma. He understands his age and the age of his wife. He understands he is powerless to make it happen. And yet Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. We need to believe in God's promise because God's promise overcomes the impossible. And the fact that God's promise can do that ought to inspire hope in us. Abraham literally had no reason physically or logically or any other way to believe he'd be the father of many nations. All he could do was take God at his word. All that he could do was hope against hope. It's like, He's told, Abraham, you're going to have a lot of descendants. You know what Abraham does, hoping against hope? Almost 100 years old, Abraham says, no problem, I'm going to believe God. But Abraham, your wife's 89. Abraham says, you know what, that's no problem. I'm going to believe God. I'm a hope against hope. I'm going to have faith in God's Word. You're going to be the father of many nations, but you don't even have a kid yet. Look how old you are. Abraham says, that's all right. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to take God at His Word. And I'm going to hope against hope. The only thing Abraham had to hang to was God's promise. That's all you have. That's all I have. 
I mean, honestly, really to depend upon, all we have is a promise of God. Now, someone in their mind might be pushing against that. Oh, but I've got my wife or my husband. I've got my family, my kids, my home, my job, my bank account. You know, I've got all this stuff. Don't tell me all I have is a promise of God. Everything that I just mentioned that you think you might have can be gone in a moment. You want to know the only thing that cannot be gone in a moment and no one can take from me? God's promise. Because God's promise is eternal and it's everlasting. That's why we have to hope against hope by believing in God's promise. Abraham, all Abraham had was to hang on to God's word. And all you and I have is to hold on to God's word. It is not by looking at ourselves physically and say, oh yeah, I can do this. I'm not talking about you having kids. I'm talking about you going to heaven. I can save myself. I can take care of this. I can deal with all the junk in my life. You know, the honest thing is, if we'd be honest, we'd look at our lives and say, I can't do it. I'm a sinner. I can't handle the junk in my life. I can't deal with circumstances in my life. So what I must do is hope against hope and take God at His Word. That's all we can do. That's all you can do is for us to hang upon God's promise. We need to believe and take God at His Word that He gives life to the dead. You want to know why? Because Ephesians tells us this, you're dead in trespasses and sin. That's where we are. We can't save ourselves. We're dead. We have to take God at His Word if we want to have everlasting life. We need to take God at His Word and believe that through God's promise, We can overcome the impossible. We need to hope against all logical hope that we've been made righteous because of the promise of God. Honest, think about it. Does it sound logical? Does it sound humanly logical? If we just use human logic, that God became man, went to a cross, shed his blood, paid for all of our sins, all we have to do is just believe in him, and by believing in him, our sins are forgiven, and we're part of God's family, and he takes us to heaven one day for all eternity. Does that sound logical? No. That's why we have to believe the promise of God. That's why we have to be like Abraham. We have to hope against hope in God's promise. Fourth vital truth is this. This is the one I warned you about. If you haven't heard anything else I said this morning, I want you to really listen. God's promise requires fully convinced faith. Abraham did not partially believe God. Abraham was not almost convinced in the promise of God. Instead, Abraham was fully convinced. Abraham did not say, well, all right, God, that sounds kind of nice. Let's see what happens. Abraham did not respond to God's promise by, by saying, well, that sounds nice, but I, we're too old. Remember, God? Look what Paul writes here. He, talking about Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. 
but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced. He's given glory to God in advance, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. You see that phrase, fully convinced? That's That has haunted me all week. I don't want to get to heaven one day. You see, I'm not going there because I'm Lynn Parsons. Lynn Parsons deserves everlasting punishment separated from God. The only way I'll get there is by faith in Jesus. I don't want to get there one day and realize that maybe some of you didn't make it because you weren't fully convinced, and I had the chance all those times to preach to you. The Bible says Abraham was not partially convinced, but he was fully convinced. Now, I want you to notice what's said next. Now, back up, please. Previous slide. Verse 22, after it says, he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. What's the first three words in verse 22? That, that is why. What does that mean? That is why it means you look at what was just said. He just said Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, that God could make him the father of many nations. He was fully convinced that God would keep his promise. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. We've already been told in the book of Romans that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I, I'm afraid there's some people maybe that attend church all the time that in, in, a, in a frivolous way somehow might have said, I, I believe God. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my, my sins. But you're not fully convinced. You're, you're not all in. You, you you believe the stuff about you know Jesus. You say, yeah, I understand that that's said, but kind of like I said a moment ago. But maybe in your mind you're still saying, but but I need to do this. I need to be a good person if God's going to accept me. I need to obey the Ten Commandments if if God's going to accept me. I need to attend church a certain number of times. I need to pray a certain number of times. I need to give enough money or whatever it is. And and if you strip that all back, what that means is that you're kind of partially convinced because you're dependent upon some other stuff other than just God's promise. I hope you know that you're fully convinced. That doesn't mean Satan will never make you doubt. Satan comes around and makes me doubt that I ought to even be up here this morning. But that doesn't mean when the doubt's hit, I can say, I believe the promise of God. I believe that God's true. Everybody else is a liar. I believe the promise of God. I'm going to hold to the promise of God. I'm not trying to make somebody doubt their salvation this morning. I'm not trying to sound like I'm coming down on somebody. I'm just telling you, for some reason, God haunted me this week. 
as I study this passage about Abraham being fully convinced that God could do what he promised, and it says that is why. He was fully convinced that is why God counted it to him for righteousness. I don't know why I'm haunted about it. I know it's not about my own faith. And I don't know if it might be you or somebody here. I don't I don't know. I, I just know it says that he was fully convinced. Look at what the word means. Fully convinced or fully persuaded, depending on your translation, means to carry out fully in evidence, to be completely assured or convinced, entirely accomplished. But I want you to focus upon the root word that is that it comes from. It means to wear his clothing. Or as a, or as a constant accompaniment or like a constant companion. In, in other words, Abraham's faith was like the clothes on his body. He, he clothed himself in his faith. I mean, it was with him wherever he went, whatever he faced, he was clothed like the clothing on his body. Or you think about the, the, the word accompaniment, where maybe someone is playing an instrument as you sing. It's, it's like you've got God's faith always playing in your mind. It's like your constant companion, no matter where you are and what you're facing, is, is God's promise. And, and you have faith in God's promise as your, as your constant companion. Abraham believed God in spite of his circumstances, in spite of his age, in spite of Sarah's age. He believed God, the Bible says, and he did not distrust God's promise, it said back there in the verses that we read a moment ago. He did not waver in taking God at his word. Instead, he had a growing faith and believed God and glorified God in advance of even having a child. He believed God and glorified God on the front end of it. That's an example for us. Our circumstances, we're sinners that deserve hell. God's promise is, my son died for your sins on the cross, and if you'll believe in him, you're going to have everlasting life. Be forgiven. Be part of my family. Have eternity with me instead of a place called hell. That's God's promise to us. And instead of distrusting it or wavering from it, we need to be fully convinced so much so that even though we're not there yet, we glorify God right now in advance of it happening. So here's my question. Do, do you have a, a fully convinced faith? Because if you don't, if it's just a partial faith, if it's a hope-so faith, then you're in terrible spiritual eternal jeopardy. If that's all you have is a maybe-so or a hope-so and not a fully convinced faith. See, look what Paul said in verse 23 and following. But the words it was counted to him, talking about Abraham, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, 
Who did this? Who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification? See, Paul's not just writing about Abraham. He's writing about how you and I need to have a fully convinced faith in the promise of God. He he tells us there that that Jesus was delivered upon the cross for our sins. Do, Do you fully believe that? Are you fully convinced that's what happened? It tells us that that Jesus was raised again to show that he had done everything that he said he would. He was raised again for our justification. He was raised again so that through faith in His accomplished, finished work, you and I can be made just like we've never sinned. That's what the Bible tells us. But are you fully convinced that's true? Because the Bible says Abraham was fully convinced. And I think if that was a type of faith that Abraham had that God counted righteous, that means that you and I need to be fully convinced also we don't need to be like the double-minded man in james who would pray not really believing we don't need to be double-minded and say well uh you jesus and i believe but you you, you we, we need to be all in a hundred percent a thousand percent a million percent whatever we need to be all in we need to be fully fully convinced so this morning are you that are you Are you fully convinced? Abraham was convinced of some things. Abraham was convinced that he was powerless to make the promise happen because he couldn't do it. Abraham was convinced that it wasn't about his performance. Too old. Abraham was also convinced in the promise of God. Are you convinced of those same things today? Are you convinced that you're powerless? You can do not one single thing to earn your salvation or save yourself. Are you convinced this morning that your performance, the best that you can be, still falls short of the glory of God? Are you fully convinced in the promise of God that is faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work, plus nothing, minus nothing, because the moment you add something to it, you make it of no effect? Remember what we saw earlier? Void, null, of no effect. Do you have a complete, full, 100%, fully convinced faith? That's what Abraham had. Because Abraham had that, God said, you know what? You're righteous. That's the type of faith we must have. And when we believe, In the promise of God, God counts it to us as being righteous. The underlying message of Romans 4 is the trustworthiness of God's Word. We have to take God at His Word. What does the Scripture say? I I, I mentioned that earlier. What does the Scripture say? That's what matters. What does the, the Scripture say? Because you see, this wasn't written just for other people alone. It's written for us. What does the Scripture really say? I'm going to date myself a little bit and date some of you. Some of you might have heard of Dr. Uh, Harry Ironside before. He was a famous theologian from years ago. Uh, he pastored Moody Church in Chicago uh, that was started by Dwight L. Moody. Uh, he pastored it for 18 years, uh, you know, led there in Moody Bible Institute. 
he was on vacation one time. And Ironside just wrote a lot of books, you know, renowned theologian. He was on vacation and visited the church and went to a Sunday school class. <laughs> and the Sunday school class, the teacher got up and was, you know, teaching the, the lesson, you know, going through the program, the quarterly and, and, uh, and everything. And, and the teacher raised a question and evidently the teacher had not fully read and was ill prepared. So he raised a question to the class. How were people in the Old Testament saved? So after a moment, one guy spoke up and said, by believing the law, by obeying the law, by works of the law. Problem was, they had a theologian in the room by the name of Dr. Harry Ironside. (laughs) And he spoke up and said, but my Bible, not what he thought, but my Bible says, by the works of the law, there'll be no flesh justified in God's sight. So the teacher was kind of a little bit embarrassed then, and, and the teacher so asked again, I said, well, does anybody else have an idea? How were people saved in the Old Testament? So finally another guy spoke up and said, by bringing sacrifices. The theologian in the room spoke up and said, my Bible says the blood of bulls and goats can never, ever pay for our sin. <laughs> so finally the Sunday school teacher looked at this stranger in the room that seemed to know everything. He said, well, do you, do you mind telling us then, how were people in the Old Testament saved? And he said they were saved by faith, the same way that we are. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. The heroes of what? The heroes of the faith. The characters of the Old Testament. And over and over and over again in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. So if you want to be counted righteous, you have to believe by faith the promise of God. The key is believing. We we have to believe. Belief or non-belief is addressed over 60 times in the book of Romans alone. Abraham had a pretty amazing faith. Think about it. Abraham didn't have a Bible. We do. Abraham, when he was called by God to follow him, was pretty much the Lone Ranger when it came to, you know, being following God. We live in a community where we've got other people around us that have faith in God. Abraham did not have a long record in history he could look back to of people who had faith. In fact, Abraham was helping to write the record. And yet the Bible says he believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Today we've got a Bible. Today we've got people around us. Today we've got a record of thousands of years of faith of people following God. So we were that excuse. Are you fully convinced? Let's pray. Father, God, I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today that's not fully convinced, if there's someone that would be honest with themselves and recognize that they've made their salvation, their following you, their eternal destiny about maybe understanding some facts about Jesus, but they've also made it about 
themselves and their performance and trying to be good. God, God, there's someone here this morning that they've heard and maybe they're partially convinced, but they're not, they're not fully convinced. God, please speak to them. Please help them to be honest with themselves and with you. God, maybe they need to be honest with this body of people that's gathered here. And admit they haven't been fully convinced. But they want to be. God, there's someone here that's not fully convinced. Help them to understand it's all about your promise, your grace, what you've done through Christ. It is nothing about what we can do ourselves. It's about your promise, not our performance. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As the band plays, I, I want to ask you to, to, to stand and... And if you know without any doubt you're fully convinced, here's what I want you to do in the next few minutes as the band plays. I want you to pray for anybody here that might not be fully convinced. And if you're that person or people that are not fully convinced that's here this morning, you've heard about Jesus, but you're still kind of dependent on other stuff, and you've not fully just made it about the promise of God. God loves you. Jesus died for you. It's all about His promise. And right now, there's going to be people here that know they're fully convinced, praying that you'll be fully convinced. And if you're not, why not step out and come? We'd love to try and help you at the end of this service. Please stand, believers, please pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.